Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a staycation, Macy's has everything you need. Summer's almost here, and I'm so excited to take a trip with Bryn. We are planning it right now. We are heading to Macy's before we pack to grab new shoes we can wear all day with anything. I'm excited to lay in the sun with key pieces from Macy's, like my new Dolce Vita sandals and Levi's skirt. I am ready to relax and look and feel amazing. Oh, how good that sounds. Of course, I can't forget a new beach bag. I have been eyeing the collection of beach bags from Macy's, and I can't wait for you to see what I choose. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond, but at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. The virus that causes shingles is sleeping in 99% of people over 50. While not everyone at risk will develop shingles, it strikes as a painful rash that can last for weeks. Wake up, because shingles could wake up in you. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles prevention. I want to talk about doing things properly from the ground up. My apartment in the city, which I love, was a wreck I got a crazy deal on it because I don't think I could have gotten something in the worst neighborhood of New York for the same price, but I just had vision and I am always economical. I choose my spots, meaning if something really needs to be done, I have to do it properly if it's going to bother me. But there are certain areas where you don't have to go so high. So highs and lows. And the way that I dress too, I buy things that are high end, They're usually on sale, but I wear them for years. And I mean, for like 10 years versus just buy something super trendy and expensive or something cheap. I don't like anything cheap. I like you to buy well and keep it forever. So things have to be done properly from the ground up. And the reason I say that is when I moved into that apartment in the city, I did it properly in the beginning. Most of the things that I wanted done well, a whole plan, a whole narrative thought out. And I just love it now so much because it was done properly from the beginning. My house in the Hamptons, for example, Um, And I know these are high-class problems, but it doesn't matter whether we're talking about a closet, a pantry, a small area, your office, uh, doing a birthday party. These are examples that are, uh, you know, rich person problems, but I'm still explaining a concept that applies to everyone and even applies to when I was broke. And I realized that you have to sort of do things properly from the beginning. In business, the same thing happens. Like if things don't start off properly, they'll run away from you. You don't realize it. 
I don't think for my talk show I could have changed it drastically because when I got my talk show, Anderson Cooper had been on for, I think, one or two years before me. And it bled out a lot of money and Warner Brothers was gun shy about it. And by the time mine got on the air, the same person who put mine on the air put Anderson's on. And they really didn't want to spend a ton of money on it. And the people that put Anderson's show on the air got fired. The, the, the president of Warner Brothers television or unscripted or whatever. So we were left with no principle. So meaning we were producing a talk show, which I didn't want to do. And I didn't like it anyway. I was going through a bad divorce and it was being a traffic cop. And when we come back and up next and after the break and just constraining and syndicated talk shows mean every single place in the country has an opinion about your lipstick and your cleavage and your skirt. And, and, you know, they weren't doing the show based on what they thought would be a good segment. The executive producer was like, no, well, that worked really well, so we have to do that five days in a row. And it was very fear-based. And there was no manager of it. And it was moving so quickly that I couldn't get a handle on it, meaning I knew it felt wrong. It felt like, what are we doing? We're just, we're, we're not, we're copying other people and we're not being original and I feel constrained. And I just didn't like it, but it felt wrong. In that case, I don't think I could have made a big difference because the train's moving so quickly and you have to shoot every day and there's so many people doing it and there was no management. So there's no person at Warner Brothers managing the project because the two people got fired. So we were sort of lone wolves and on our own and it didn't get picked up for a second season. I was very relieved. I didn't like doing it. I was happy, but I was unhappy for the several hundred people working there. But there's a lesson there. So when I went to start The Big Shot with Bethany, which is my show on HBO Max, which is a like a modern, more authentic version of The Apprentice, whereas The Apprentice was about sort of brand integrations and not authentic to his business and really seeing my house and really seeing my life. So the first day of The Big Shot, there are hundreds of people at my house in Connecticut. I didn't live there yet. It was going to be sold. And they, they had hundreds of people. They warned me it would be a big production, but this wasn't like The Housewives. This was hundreds of people, that massive jib camera, it looked like you were walking into the shooting of a movie or like a massive Coca-Cola commercial for the Super Bowl. I mean, it was overwhelming, right? And I'm very authentic in the way that I do things on television. So I was fumbling, truthfully, I couldn't get into the key. I couldn't find the key for the door and they weren't covering that. And I walked inside and they were like, no, we just want to capture you like sitting down doing this. And I'm like, well, no, I just, I just literally couldn't get into my house with the keys. So that's real. Let's do real. Real is always better than manufactured. So the way that the producers were working on it was just sort of like, we want you to be doing that and standing there and saying this. We want you to say, this is not your big shot to people. And I'm like, ew, I would never say that. That's so contrived. It's not truthful. Like, I don't need lingo. This isn't the 80s. It needs to be a certain way. Well, the shoot was on the on election day and it was the eve of my birthday. So the shoot was out of hand. My house, I was walking in the kitchen and there was, the house was getting messed. They were ruining the, the furniture and things were just not going well. And I felt overwhelmed, okay? And it was during a pandemic on election day, eve of my birthday. And I was worried about like just coaster marks and paint getting scratched and all this stuff. And some of the people I was working with were looking at me and saying, oh, honey, like that's like worrying about a deck chair off the QE2. Like you, you, there's a lot more to worry about here. And I could see a scared look in everybody's face. And there were like a hundred people on my property. And I could see a scared look where I kept saying to people working on it, is this good? Is this a good show? Like, and that's not like me at all. So it was sort of getting away from me. Do you ever have like, you're planning something, you're doing something at your job or a trip or anything. And it's like getting away from you. So now I'm the talent, but I've created the show. I've produced it. My name is on the show. It's costing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Okay, HBO Max is legit. 
So we get, we're shooting and it just feels weird. And I'm upstairs in my master bedroom and I am waiting two hours in hair and makeup in my dress to come out and say what I'm going to say to these cast members about this thing. And it's feeling very contrived and very like formatted and just too overly structured. And I'm feeling like I felt on the talk show, like constrained. And I don't know how to like course correct this thing. So now I'm outside and it's 30 degrees and we're rushing. And now they're like, it's two o'clock in the morning and we have to get this last thing because we had to finish this one episode on this day, which you usually don't do an episode in one day. So now I realize we're trying to fit 20 pounds of shit in a five pound bag because this is the only day that we're shooting in Connecticut. And we're worried we're going to get shut down at some point because of COVID because it's crazy in New York right now. And so we're trying to rush and now we're doing a shoddy job, like a half-assed job. And now I'm looking around, I'm like, there are people that are here that have been sequestered in a hotel for weeks that are up at two o'clock in the morning. And like, as it gets later, I look over and I say like, is this okay? Can we be doing this? And they're like, well, it's not union, but you know, it's not right. So I call the production company and I'm like, we need to like stop this, but I'm also obsessive because I don't want us to not have an episode. Whatever comes out on the television can't be good enough. So I want to try to finish this, but we can't, we have to get everybody home. So we have to close it out and get everybody home. And it's like a crazy day and it just feels weird. And my house is a wreck. Okay. Now it's my birthday now. Cause so I get home at four o'clock in the morning. It's the, my birthday. I call up my business managers and my lawyers and I say, who do I call? Do I call the production company that I'm partners with? Do I call my friend who runs the network? What do I do? And so everybody that I work with, and this is another part of like, do what's in your gut. This thing goes sideways. It's my name. And everybody always wants to cover their own ass. It's just nature. It's nothing wrong with anybody, but everybody wants to cover their own ass. My gut says I call my friend at HBO, Jen O'Connell. And he says, absolutely. Absolutely. I said, I'm calling to say to her, and I'll tell you what I said to her. I said to him, I want to call her just because I need to level. If I don't say this out loud and this train keeps moving, which is really nobody's fault because it's a pandemic. The truth is when it's going to be your name, it doesn't fucking matter what happens in the back of the house. You give someone a shitty meal, you are responsible for it. It's your name that's on the front of that restaurant. It's not the sous chef. It's not your electrician. It doesn't matter. So even though, you know, it's not going to be the EP that's going to be on the, it, it written about in, in Variety, the executive producer. And it's not going to be my production company. It's not going to really even be HBO Max. It'll be a little bit HBO Max, but it's going to be my name looking like the loser. So I call up Jen O'Connell and I said to Jen O'Connell, hi, I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this. I don't know who I'm supposed to be, supposed to be calling. One of the reasons I'm not a great corporate person is because I never know who to call for what. Like there's 50 people on an email and I never understand who's who and who you call for what. So I just knew that this is my relationship. And I know that HBO is the one that's putting the show on. So they are put on, they're like the best streamer going. They have a high quality standard and they're not going to put crap on the air. So I say to her, listen, I don't think we got it. I don't know if we've got it. What happened yesterday needs to be course corrected, but I'm nervous. Like, I don't want the crew to be like, what the fuck? Because you have to have the morale of your team in your office, in your corporation, in your production. Your team has to believe in you. Otherwise, they're all like, what the fuck are we doing with this clown reality star, you know, that, that they can't take seriously? So I'm really thinking about this. Because there's there's my studio, which is my partner, and then there's the production company that is producing it, and then there's the streamer or in other cases a network that's airing it There's a lot of people so she said they may think that we're not going to put it on the air if we know what's going on but we're never going to walk away from your show you're a tv gold you're my secret weapon that's what she said 
we're going to put this on the air. But, and I said, so how much does it cost to make an episode? And it's like a lot of money, but still it'd be a lot more money to keep going if it's not working. So I, I communicated with her and I said to her, listen to me, let me grab the reins on this. Okay. I'm going to call you in two days and I'm going to tell you whether I can get this shit together or not. And then I'm going to call you and have a grown up conversation about whether this needs to be done after the pandemic. It costs everybody money. It changes when the show is going to air, which is inconvenient. It's it's scary because they could then change their minds and say, no, we don't want to do it, etc. But I'm saying I would rather not feed people anything than feed them something that's shit. The message overall is to do things properly from the beginning. And if you feel something in your gut strongly, stop the fucking train and collect yourself. It could be a dinner party. It could be something going on at school. It could be go- something going on with your kids. Just use your gut, trust your gut, and stop the train if you feel that it's on the wrong track. Hey there. Did you know that May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is celebrating by highlighting some cool AAPI-owned brands like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Maeve. I mean, I love that a big brand like Macy's is supporting Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It's important. But you know what? The best reason to check out these brands is that they're just really awesome. Seriously, you need to check them out. And you know what else? You have a great opportunity to open up access to college for AAPI students and help them succeed by donating to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. You can donate online or just round up your purchase at Macy's when you check out. So do what you can to help. Join Macy's and round up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support APIA scholars. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Imagine the feeling of pulsing electric shocks. Sounds like a nightmare, right? While individual experiences may vary, it's how some people describe shingles. This painful blistering rash could interrupt your life for weeks. It could even force you to cancel social events or weekend plans. Over 99% of adults 50 years or older already carry the virus that causes shingles. One in three people will get it in their lifetime. Why wait? Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles today. Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico or Puerto Rico. My accent's not the best, but I'm trying. But I know Puerto Rico well. I've been there so many times. I be strong has done so many missions after Hurricane Maria. It is more than just a name. It is a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. 
The unique Bariqua spirit infuses the island's culinary landscape with a one-of-a-kind passion and point of view unlike anywhere else. I love Puerto Rico. I've been there twice in the last year. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. My guest today is Kevin Nealon, actor, comedian, and writer. He's best known as a cast member on SNL, where he was also the anchor on Weekend Update for three seasons. Since then, he's worked on TV shows such as Weeds and Man with a Plan, as well as countless films and his video series, Hiking with Kevin. Today, we talk about the importance of being present and trusting your instincts, why you should always take chances on your passions, how chemistry is important in comedy and in business, and why you need to be committed to succeed. Kevin's hilarious and always makes me laugh. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. This is Kevin Nealon who um, I welcome today, and um, I do respect you, and I admire you, and I'm interested in what uh, makes you tick. Okay. I like everything you say. I like you. I've known you for probably 15 years. We did a pilot together once for your talk show. Sat in on that a few times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you asked me what makes me tick as a comic, and it's, you know, it's been so long now, I'm I'm not even sure what the original tick was, you know, (laughs) get into it, but I think I was, like a lot of comedians, I'm also um, a musician of sorts. Where I, you know, I, I grew up playing the guitar and the banjo, the five-string banjo. And I always fancied myself becoming a singer-songwriter. Interesting. But comedy just came so much easier to me. It seemed more of a natural um, ability for me. I used to memorize the jokes in the back of the parade magazine. You know, like they were called My Favorite Jokes. I'd go to parties and tell them like they were mine. And I think in a nutshell, that's kind of what it boils down to. I also enjoy the craft of it now, you know, as I've gotten into it. I like the idea of building a joke or a concept. Okay. And there's so many different styles of comedy now. There's attitude, there's alternative comedy, there's venting, you know, <laughs> there's, you know, it's not, it's not even the idea of building a joke in some instances anymore, crafting a joke. It's more crafting a, you know, a performance you know, or an attitude. Well, it sounds like it's about the journey, not necessarily the destination anymore. And back with like, you know, Don Rickles and people like that, it was about the joke, like get to the joke and land the land, the finish, you know, not just the whole process, which is, which is an interesting thing. And I wonder, so I found it interesting. So they, what do they say? Dying is easy and comedy is hard. I found that preparing for comedy is hard and doing it I, I, not to belittle an entire craft, I've done it one time in my life. That's saying, like, you could hit a golf ball and get it in, you know, some, you hit anything can happen once. A broken clock is right twice a day. But if you're comfortable in front of people and if you're prepared, then that, then it is not that, the worst that could happen up there is like, so some people don't laugh, but if you're not organized, you don't have your shit together, then you feel like you're flying, like, you know, you're driving without no brakes. So I felt that because I had spoken to different comedians who had given me really specific, 
advice, like tactical, strategic advice that being up there what, I, wasn't that scary. People laughed and thought it was funny. I don't, th- I don't know if people at home said it was the funniest thing they ever heard in their life by any means, but like, I la- you know, I stuck the landing, you know what I mean? And I walked out of there and I felt like, okay, that was seven minutes and I did that, but because I was prepared, and I'm sure you can't be prepared for a bad crowd or anything, but if you feel in life like you've done something well to the best of your ability, I don't think you can really feel that bad about it. Do you, how do you feel about that? No, I always tell my son that too. He's 14 and, you know, he gets nervous about tests and quiz. I said, you know, just do your best. And if you do your best and you've done your best, you've prepared, you know, you've you've studied. And if you get a grade less, you know, than you wanted to, I'm still proud of you because you put a lot into it and you put the work into it. You know, it's the same with stand-up. I learned a lot from Steve Martin because I used to love watching him on the talk shows. He would always come out with a prepared bit. He was always prepared. You know, he wasn't just going out there and winging it like some comics do. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. But Steve would always go out with something, just like Albert Brooks. That's a different style, though. Some people like to be free. You know what I mean? You could do both. You could go out there. and, And that's what I do. I like to go out there with a bit. But also, like it's like I'm doing the Conan O'Brien show. We have a long history, so we kibitz each other a lot and we tease each other. And sometimes we never even get to the prepared stuff. Because you feel safe there. I feel comfortable and safe, and I know I'm much funnier than he is. Fact, obviously. (laughs) And much better hair, obviously, too. Yeah. You know, it's it's all about being prepared, yeah. Especially when you're doing stand-up. And I think the audience looks at you as the captain of the ship. And if you seem confident and relaxed and you're having a good time, that relaxes them. And they're comfortable and they're enjoying it. But if you're nervous and you're floundering and you're distracted, they're going to be distracted and not so interested and a little uncomfortable. And that's life. And that's good for people who are listening, who are doing business presentations, who are going to a wedding and doing a speech. It doesn't have to be just about being funny. It's about committing. Sometimes you get lost, but you've got to commit. You know, my daughter is not a great singer. She loves to sing and she wants to, and I, but the way that she commits to it is, is, is amazing. And so it's like karaoke, if you really are committed, which, which is what it has to be in life and in business. So I ask you, so I'm addicted to the idea. Okay. In general, I, I have to execute the idea. I love the idea. Just whatever the idea is, if I have it, it's a light bulb. I write, I just, I have to execute the idea. And I do have a good relationship with humor. Meaning I think someone said once humor is its own excuse. If that thing is funny, who gives a shit? And I'm really, comedy has been a thread in my entire life. It's like, I'm a secret comic. You know, I have other vehicles, but I get to like throw in one liners and be, be funny. And, and I have a relationship to it, but I wonder about, um, the loneliness of wanting the laugh, like the loneliness of the career that is really validation from other people. And I have the same thing, by the way, being on television or a good, you know, a business deal is the product. Do they like it? I mean, it's just a different format for that, but it's so, it's so like, it's cup of noodles, like reaction. It's, it's so quick. You're up there. It's a zero sum game. You're funny or you're not like, it's not that much half pregnant. So what is that about? Like I watch people that every night go up there and need that laugh. Are you addicted to the laugh at all? Are you addicted to the, to the love? Like what, what is it about that? And comics are known to be. I don't think it's an addiction to the laugh. I think it's an addiction to the connection, connecting with an audience and relating to them. For me, it's like communicating. 
and it's sharing. And and I don't necessarily look for the laughs. I don't panic if there's no laughs. I think I might have told you this, you know. Just because people aren't laughing doesn't mean they're not having a good time. <laughs> My son will sometimes say the opposite of that. Like, I'll make him laugh. And I'll say, just because I'm laughing doesn't mean I'm happy. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's that's what I like to do with it. And, and you know, I, I learned a lot from Gary Shanling. He was kind of my mentor, one of my mentors. And in his latter years, he would always say, you know, just be open on stage, be present, you know, just be honest and trust your instincts. And if I can just do that, even if I don't get a laugh, I feel like I've won. You know, if I could be in the moment and present. That's what I felt. That's exactly what happened. That's what I was just describing. It's so funny that you said that. There's a security to it. I was prepared. I thought it through. I didn't, like, wasn't cavalier. I had had legends like yourself tell me advice. And I I was prepared. And I went up and I was calm and, you know, did everything I was told. And there was a connection. And I felt secure because of that. Like, I felt it, it just was validation of hard work and execution, which is why we're talking about the art of this. And you're describing something therapeutic. Yeah, I mean, during the pandemic, you know, none of us did stand-up comedy in, you know, clubs. We might have done it on Zoom or something. And then we started doing the outdoor shows. But it was a real interesting kind of uh, experience not to be doing stand-up after doing it for 40 years. Like, you know, never taking off more than a week or so. Wow. And then not having that in your life. And it really opened up a lot of avenues and thoughts as it did to a lot of people during the pandemic, you know, they kind of reassess things. But for me, you know, I, I don't, I realize that I don't need stand up like I thought I used to. I don't need to get laughs or, you know, I can communicate with people like we're doing now communicating with people. So I don't really need that. I've done that. I, I enjoyed it. And it's like that old adage, be careful what you wish for. You know, you talk about being lonely on stage. If you, I wanted to be a stand-up. That's all I wanted in life. I was like you. I loved these comics growing up, you know, like Pryor and Steve Martin and Woody Allen, all those comics that were successful and kind of shaped us and influenced us. I loved those comics and I wanted to be a stand-up. I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. I wanted to work on the road and maybe get a sitcom and be careful what you wish for. I got that. And now 40 years later, I'm still doing stand-up. I still love it. But I'm not crazy about working on the road or, you know, thinking that I might have, I might be in hotels in my seventies. So what about the business of comedy? Like what's your relationship to money? Did you come from nothing? Are you blue collar? Like what's your origination and relationship with money? I come from a um, upper middle-class family. My father was an aeronautical engineer. He worked for Sikorsky helicopters. My mother was a filmmaker. Uh, I have four siblings and I went to school for marketing. I have a BS in marketing from um, a small business college in uh, Connecticut. And I, I I never used it. I, I, I can't even fall back on it anymore because I think it's expired. Don't they expire after a while? No. And how do you know you haven't been marketing yourself all this time? You didn't get on Saturday Night Live by sleeping on your ass, right? I mean. Well, you know, you're doing a lot more marketing now with social media. But, um, you know, um, I wish I was a better business person like you um, because there is a big aspect of that. Uh, to becoming successful in stand-up. But, you know, my goal was to get on The Tonight Show. That was my marketing tool before Johnny Carson left. And and that was my goal, and I did that several times. But you've been singular-focused throughout your career. It sounds like you had the goal to be a stand-up. Then you had the goal to be... So at least you knew to have a laser focus to get you to the next step. 
But, you know, as far as stand-up comedy, uh, you know, it's enough to just become a good stand-up and to create material and to get a following and to get paid and work in clubs and, and you know, to, to really focus on the business of it, I think you have to be, you know, extra special. I'm, I'm just... You know, my my goal is to you know I I have a business manager now. I didn't have for always, but you know he's he's a good businessman, so he knows you put away this X amount of money and your four hundred one k's and you know and that and but I was more just stand up. I want to be a stand up. And in hindsight, I wish I got into an improv class. You know, I wish I studied improv and I came up with characters. So when I got on SNL. I'd have characters to do and accents, but instead I was just me. I was me and I had to learn how to do all that stuff. Hey there. Did you know that May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is celebrating by highlighting some cool AAPI-owned brands like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Maeve. I mean, I love that a big brand like Macy's is supporting Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It's important. But you know what? The best reason to check out these brands is that they're just really awesome. Seriously, you need to check them out. And you know what else? You have a great opportunity to open up access to college for AAPI students and help them succeed by donating to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. You can donate online or just round up your purchase at Macy's when you check out. So do what you can to help. Join Macy's and round up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support APIA scholars. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The virus that causes shingles is sleeping in 99% of people over 50. It's lying dormant, waiting, and it could reactivate at any time. And while not everyone at risk will develop shingles, it strikes as a painful, blistering rash that can last for weeks. Think you're not at risk for shingles? It's time to wake up because shingles could wake up in you. If you're over 50, talk to your doctor or pharmacist about shingles prevention. Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico or Puerto Rico. My accent's not the best, but I'm trying. But I know Puerto Rico well. I've been there so many times. I Be Strong has done so many missions after Hurricane Maria. It is more than just a name. It is a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. 
The unique Bariqua spirit infuses the island's culinary landscape with a one-of-a-kind passion and point of view unlike anywhere else. I love Puerto Rico. I've been there twice in the last year. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. I read something about you going on hikes with, is it not just comedians? It's just famous people? It's everybody. It's notable people. Uh, the hiking show is called Hiking with Kevin. I love to hike around the canyons of L.A. I don't mean really hike. I walk. You know, I don't even have hiking gear. I have sneakers that I wear. But I like to walk. I like to be outside. And, and I have friends that like that, too. And so I went hiking with Matthew Modine one day about three years ago. He's a friend. And we got talking. We were hiking on a real challenging uh trail. It was steep. We were both out of breath and it was hard to understand each other. And I was thinking this would be a funny talk show segment, you know, where I'm interviewing you and you're out of breath. I'm out of breath. When you first came to LA, you had a small apartment and then you, you had friends and agents. And I posted that on my Instagram and Twitter and I did a little short interstitials like two weeks, like a minute or two, and then three or four different segments from that height. And then Howard Stern loved it. He goes, you should do longer ones. So I, you know, got on YouTube. I figured out how to work the YouTube channel. And I just got more and more progressed into it. I, you know, I learned how to um, edit them myself. And I learned how to fly a drone. And more and more people started following it and watching it. And then um, we recently uh, have been pitching it to some of the networks. I love that. All right, I'm going to check that out. I love that. That's a great idea. And the best ideas are usually the simplest ones that are just true to what's actually going on. So are you... Um, do you consider yourself more lucky or smart? And I know you don't think you're the biggest business person, but as a comedian or in your career, do you consider yourself more lucky or smart? I, I never thought of myself as smart. I, it, there's always been that thing about me where I've never been a good test taker. You know, I'm not smart in that way, but I think I, I do have smarts and I think that, um, I've been incredibly lucky. I mean, really, really lucky in every aspect of my life, but also I've been a good person. I mean, you know, to get on SNL coming from my position, I was a standup. Like I said, I did, I, I didn't have any characters in my back pocket. When I went to do my audition, you know, I think now you have to do three characters and accents or whatever. I never would, I wouldn't have to like come up with something, but I was just, you know, I happened to know Dana Carvey and he got on Saturday Night Live that summer for that coming fall. Lauren needed one more cast member and Dana recommended me and somebody else, I think. And I came in and I did maybe a hunk of my material that I did on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and a couple of ideas that Dana and I used to work on when we hung out, you know, just some character, loose character stuff. And that was it. And I got on SNL. When there was people flying on that airplane with me who were accomplished improv players with bucket full of characters from the groundlings, and Second City, and they knew what they were doing. So was it the Comedy Store? That's the big one on Sunset that everyone, that's the pinnacle. So that 
that documentary about the comedy store, they said that the owner would look for just the essence of somebody, like so, someone's vibe. It wasn't necessarily, and that's interesting because that's what reality TV is ultimately like. Getting on The Apprentice, I thought it was about a business show. I thought it was like, oh, I'm so smart and I'm driven. It was about the essence of somebody. So I think that that's interesting, but I bet I, that's what I just thought to myself. Lauren Michaels probably you had just the essence of what he wanted. That was me on The Housewives. I wasn't rich. I lived in a studio apartment. They'd never put someone on who lived in like a shitty Ikea uh, decorated apartment and who didn't. Where did you live? I lived on, I mean, it, was, it was a fine rental building on 62nd Street. I'm just saying people are in palaces getting facials and buying diamonds and driving Ferraris. I had $8,000 to my name. I did my own makeup, obviously. And they put me on The Housewives as the question mark character but that would never happen now. You have to be somebody. You have to be rich. So it's a similar thing. But I had the essence of, I guess, what they didn't know they wanted. So that sounds like what you're talking about. Would you say that you're happier now than you were when you were on 62nd Street? Yes, I had a lot of anxiety. I really had no safety net. And I didn't. I have no idea what was going to happen to me. I was in my late 30s still. It wasn't that cute. It wasn't like I'm at 24. It's cute to be poor. It was in my mid to late 30s, alone and not pregnant. And, you know, it, it, wasn't, that, it wasn't that cute. I keep, my wife gets sick and tired of, of me telling her this, but when we travel to Europe sometimes, you know, we'll stay in a nice hotel. It's like a five-star hotel and, you know, we'll fly first class. And I, all I talk about is how much fun I had when I was staying in youth hostels as a 23-year-old and taking the URL train, having the URL pass and meeting people that were so outgoing and friendly, as opposed to nobody talking in first class and, you know, Having the white linen tablecloths at a, a Ritz. Because that was your 20s. But if you were a 37-year-old man who couldn't afford to buy a woman a drink or take a taxi downtown, like I couldn't, I could not afford a taxi. I wasn't worried about a woman. I was worried about me. I just wanted to make sure I could have a taxi downtown. But, you know, my, that's why I talk about money a lot on here, because people's relationship to money, their noise, like, it's still so much closer to the time that I had no money than it is further. You know, it's not that long ago that I really would see insufficient funds at that ATM. And, you know, the big, the moments that you realize you're rich are the moments that you aren't the big, aren't buying a car or a house. It's when you're like, oh my God, I can open, I can open the mini bar. Like I can get the big room. You don't have to replace the seven up in the mini bar before you turn it Yeah. Or like, I don't have to get the 299 room. Like I could get the nice, like the suite doesn't panic me or just the, the little things taking a taxi. I couldn't take a taxi in Manhattan. That was like, that was like $26 plus you're the tip of the person. That was like a lot of money. I couldn't do that one way, much less two. So, you know, I, I remember how excited I used to get when I didn't have that much money and I would be approved by a parking meter. I'd say, yes, yes, I'm approved. <laughs> I wish it was that easy alone. Well, you would get like a new cell phone service. They'd give you like this cash card and it would be like more money to, it would take away most of the money by just cashing it in. It was like a scam, but I would take that like $15. I would get that $15. I mean, you know, the, the number of, of ways to finagle trying to get money back then was crazy, but I, I did not like the feeling of, of having anxiety and not having any money. But, um, so what was your high and your low in your career? Was the high getting SNL or, or the Tonight Show? No, it wasn't actually, because that came out of nowhere. And I didn't even know if I was prepared for it. Getting the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson was my high. I've never had a natural high like that before in my life, because it's it's all I strove for. It's what I wanted to do as my goal. And so when I got on there, not only did I get on there, I had a really good set. And he invited me over to the panel. I did panel with him. 
and people were talking about it for a long time. And I, and I was like, just in heaven, I was floating for so long after that. That's the pinnacle. That was my high. What about your low? I mean, you've experienced a lot of loss in this, in this business, right? A lot of talented people that you probably were close to. Yeah. I mean, my, yeah. my loss is losing friends. You know, when I first moved out here, I was, and when I was about 25, I got four or five callbacks for a TV show over at Paramount. And the producers, after the fifth um, meeting with me and reading, they looked at each other and said, well, we're not getting any closer than this. This is, you know, it's good. And they're all happy. They're all happy with me. And a week goes by, I don't hear from them. Two weeks goes by, I don't hear from them. Finally, my manager's call. They said, hey, what's going on? You know, are you, is he getting the part? He goes, you know, you know we've decided to look at older actors for the role because he's too young. And it was the part of um, Sam. Sam Malone on Cheers, Ted Danson, got it. <laughs> and I was like, at the time, the part was for a quarterback, you know, a football player. And I had played football in college as a quarterback and a bartender. And I had bartended at the Improv here in Hollywood. So I was an ex-bartender. So it was really, and I was East Coast. I was from the East Coast. So it was like, it was everything, you know, seemed it, so, but I didn't get it. <clears throat> but then, you know, SNL came along and then Weeds came along and other shows and movies. So... So, you know, I've never really had a real low because I just love what I'm doing. So if I miss out on something, it's like when I hiked with Matthew Modine, I said to him, did you ever regret anything you turned down? And he rolled his eyes. And I posted this too. He said, after I did Full Metal Jacket, I was, you know, really picky about projects. And I turned down the role of Tom Hanks in Big, Tom Cruise's role in Top Gun, Michael J. Fox's role in Back to the Future, Charlie Sheen's role in, in uh, Wall Holy Street. Holy shit! I said, "You idiot!" And he laughed, and I laughed, and I posted that, and people loved it. I, that's people, amazing. That's like, I've never heard of like, I've never heard of a lineup like that. I know, I know. But he went on to do other things, and he's a very happy man and talented. It's the path. It's but, the path you know, of the hike. It's literally the path. Yeah, and he didn't. I don't think he was regretful. You know, he, he, he was able to laugh it off. He had a very good attitude about it. You know, I think everything happens really for a reason sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. So you've had a great but, career. Um, I, I've had, a, I've always had a great career. It's never been meteoric where it's just te- taken off. You know, because if I got an SNL, I'm not like the breakout guy there. I'm, I'm more the attitude guy. You know, I'm kind of, you know, you know, but I've always worked and I've always been getting, you know, whether it was, a, you know, pilots, movies, you know, television shows i've done i've been really fortunate to do everything stand up writing sitcoms you know i just did a sitcom for four years the matt leblanc called man with a plan that was a great run i had weeds for eight years snl for nine years a live show you know i got to do it all movies so you know as i look back i just can't be angry or bitter no this is a great career and i know it's a line though too for people listening you put one foot in front of the other, like on a hike, not not seriously, like when you have been on those 15-mile ashram hikes, and you just had one goal at a time, and not that you haven't done multiple things at the same time, but it seems like you've had major goals one at a time and accomplished them and then gone on to the next major goal and done very well at each thing. That's what it really sounds like. Weeds was excellent. SNL was excellent. The Tonight Show is excellent. You know, you're doing this grassroots project that you love because it's a passion project that's excellent i think you do have your own way of doing business it's your own it's like the comedy your style 
it's my style. And I, you know, I say I've been lucky, but also it's, you know, it's like what they say, it's luck is, is uh, when you're prepared and that opportunity arises, you know, and I've, I've, I've just loved what I've been doing. So when an opportunity comes along, you know, I, I, present myself. I love it. Like the fish are there, but you've already got your rod ready. You've got the basket, whatever the net you're ready to go. Okay. I like this. And if, and if it doesn't work out for me, I love what I do. I could stay home. I could, I, you know, I tell people comics, this, I tell them if I never was hired as a comic, I'd still be doing open mic nights because I love standing so much. You're doing what you love. You've built a life of doing what you love. The last thing I want to mention, just because I don't, don't want it to go unmentioned is that you are passionate about charity work. You do. You, it's important to you to give back. Yeah, like I think it is. A lot of people, uh, it's, you know, are passionate about that now. It seems to be a whole new world of giving back. You know, when I first started out, there were no fundraisers. I think the big first one that came along was Comic Relief with Billy Crystal and Robin Williams and Whoopi Goldberg. You know, and then it seems like every week now somebody has a fundraiser. Then there was, you know, We Are the World, all that stuff. And now there's always, you know, crowd fundraising and and charities for, you know, comics that are in need or whatever, or, you know, whatever it is, animal stuff. Um, and I have a lot of, you know, charities that I are close to me, you know, I, there's a hospice in Florida that took care of my parents and my grandmother in their you know final years that I'm just totally indebted to, you know, because when you're in that position and, you know, their health starts failing, you don't know what to do or where to go. And then they come in and they know what they're doing. They know what's going on, you know, and they know how to make people comfortable. And so I'll be internally grateful to them for forever. And then, you know, I have a passion for animals. So shelters, <clears throat> rescue dogs, things like that. Well, it, to your point, though, about so many people being in charity, I, another day I'm going to talk about there, the, the business of philanthropy, because you want people want an ROI. They want a return on their investment. They're donating. They want transparency. They want to know exactly where it's going, how much is going. That's what's really changing about this space is that people need to be accountable. You need to let people know exactly what's going on. We, I do a lot of relief work um, in crisis relief. 100% goes to the effort. We don't do events. It's all about, like, get the money to the people. Being a good business person is helpful in this regard because it's about being organized, executing communicating. So it's interesting, um, the world of philanthropy. It really is. And you're right. You know, a lot of times you'll donate to places that I'm sure we all have done. And a lot of the money goes to the CEO or whatever, and it's not getting to the people that really need it. So you hear, oftentimes you hear now when somebody's asking for donations, by the way, all this money goes right to the services. It goes right to the people. You know, and that's or what when I like celebrities are just posting a link, they they don't know what's going on. I I see this because I'm in this space. They just post a link with a koala that looks cute, and you want to cry because the koala was in the fire, but you don't know where the hell the money's going. So you're now post. You know what I mean? Like you have to be educated, just like business with philanthropy. So that's important to me. Um, you're amazing. I love this conversation. Give my love to your family. I appreciate you. Thank you, Bethany. You too. You know, this podcast takes on different paths, actually. Speaking to Kevin Nealon and talking about hiking, and you just sort of start walking one foot in front of the other. And Kevin is not the same as the traditional guests on here. He really gave me incredible uh, guidance and advice in doing stand-up, which was about facing, uh, not 
a fear, something I'd been hesitating to do that I thought I should do. And many of you can probably relate to that in business. As it turns out, Kevin Nealon has had a real interesting business trajectory. He has been singular focused. He has accomplished his goals. He has then set new goals and had a more traditional one step in front of the other approach to business, but always doing what he loves, always working hard, always being prepared, always setting himself up for success when the luck comes. So for that reason, I think he was an amazing guest. He's a beautiful person, but I think he like, he really fit into what we talk about here. So I appreciate you listening and I appreciate him being here. So have a wonderful day. is hosted and executive produced by me, Bethany Frankel. Just Be is a production of Be Real Productions and iHeartRadio. Our managing producer is Fiona Smith and our producer is Stephanie Stender. Our EP is Morgan Lavoie. To catch more moments from the show, follow us on Instagram at Just Be With Bethany. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.